0: American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.
1: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify!
3: Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. This is the first episode of our election series. (laughs) We are currently on this day, eight days out from an election, but for all y'all listening, it'll be six. So, there you go. <laughs> but this week, also, can we just talk about the fact how spooky this week is?
0: It's so spooky. Because
3: we got Halloween coming up this weekend, and then literally, what is it, like 48 hours later is election day. Terrifying.
0: And Mercury's in retrograde? Terrifying. Mm. Oh my God. What it's a completion. Like,
3: like, that's some crazy shit. And, I mean, are you like a Halloween stan? Or oh, do you love it's Halloween? It's one of my best holidays. Is it?
0: And like it's funny because like I've never dressed up in a way where it's like, Oh, I wanna be scary or like it's like that where I'm like so into it. I just like have consistently had for years like an amazing time on Halloween. So it's like I just feel like it's built for success. I can't okay, even Okay, so you have
3: why. like good like actual experiences. Mm -hmm. But your costumes aren't, like, mind-blowing.
0: Honestly, I think that's the vibe. And, like, what I want to know is, so I'm voting this weekend in New York. And Mm -hmm. I really am curious to learn, like, will there be people in costume in line to vote?
3: Are you voting on Halloween?
0: Mm -hmm. Isn't that spooky?
3: Stop. That's actually cool. Um, Yeah, I'm sure there will be. And you should be.
0: Oh, I. Okay, well, we're gonna see. So far, this is my my Halloween costume, aka results of a Target trip. I just bought like a massive bow and I'm gonna put it on myself and then I'm gonna tell everyone I'm their present. Boom. That's a good one. They note. are welcome Easy. for my present. That's
3: like a good, that's like a good, like, office one because that's the other thing. That's so true. Obviously, not this year. No one's in an office really, but. Oh, well. Like, you have to usually think of like. Okay, I'm go- my going out costume and then, like, my office costume. And the office one, it's, like, it sucks because you want to be, like, funny and creative. But, like, you still don't want to look, like, frumpy and gross. So <laughs> Like, yeah. what is the happy medium? But, yeah, you have to just, like, find a, like, funny little one. One good one I saw was, like, just somebody, like, brought in an umbrella with men hanging from it. So there was, like, Ryan Gosling and, like, Zac Efron. Like, oh all God. these faces of men hanging from it. And it was, like, raining men. And that like, is amazing. Is, I love that.
0: See, that's like, awesome. that's like perfectly creative. Although, yeah. not to like knock down like an amazing idea. But <laughs> superstitious me would be like really scared to have like an open umbrella inside.
3: I was thinking the same thing. Okay, I was on <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Honestly, the spookiest thing this year.
0: Oh God, it's a long this, list. This,
3: this week, have you seen Mitch McConnell's hands? The purple what the hell is going on uh, and why is nobody talking about this why isn't this like national news right what's what is that what does that mean Wait, i'm googling
0: it right now what do purple lips mean because
3: i, I yeah and the purple hands i literally someone said to me yesterday They're like i think that like could be a sign of chemo or something it's obviously something sad like he's going through something but like also it's mitch mcconnell like whatever okay but,
0: according to google blood rich in oxygen is bright red while blood with low levels of oxygen is dark red or purple which shows through your oh, okay okay why am i reading this nope okay however it does mean that you have a decreased oxygen level and it can be related to several conditions affecting the heart circula- circulatory system and lungs well
3: who have, who's running against him amy mcgrath mm-hmm. she needs to capitalize on that
0: oh ASAP, for because sure that
3: man's that man's is not ready to go back to. Th- he needs to just go retire, Mitch. Like I don't get go it, right? rest. Go rest, please. Like we don't need you.
0: It's bad. The like, evil doesn't rest, you know. That's there's no rest for the wicked.
3: Truly, oh my God! I think like just Sub or whatever on their Instagram. They like called him a literal rotting corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs>
0: Like, literally, this will haunt your dreams. You're welcome. It's fine.
3: Yeah, actually. Like,
0: no, Him and Mike Pence. I swear to God.
3: You're like... Okay. Yeah, the other thing is, like, when... If Mike Pence doesn't get COVID and his whole team does, like, fully convinced he's not a human being.
0: Oh. Absolutely. Like, how is that possible? He <laughs> reminds me... Getting COVID. And hopefully this still, like, totally just getting us in trouble. But do you remember that movie, The Stepford Wives, which is also, like, a book? Yeah. He, like, the way that, like, they're dressed as robots and that, like... He's, like, the male version of a separate wife. He boy. reminds
3: me of a robot totally. Like, right? Like, he, if I feel like if we, like, put water on him, he would, like, twitch and, like, spark and explode. If only the
0: fly, like, dropped some water on him.
3: The fly was, like, super, I feel like the fly was, like, a sci-fi, like, like symbol of, like, this isn't even being, <laughs> like, that that would happen in a movie. Like, the fly, like, lands on the robot's eye and they don't realize it kind of thing.
0: Oh, my God. No, it definitely was. Like, the whole thing that's was just some, some sci-fi weird shit. ass Weird.
3: You couldn't symbolic. write that. No. You couldn't write that. Well, should we talk about who we have on the show today?
0: I guess we should stop gossiping and, like, get to it. Like, okay. you know, be productive.
3: My mom is literally, like, in the window, spying <laughs> on me right now.
0: Oh, my God, Stop. that's so cute. <laughs> Hi! <laughs>
3: I'm like, can you not do that and distract me? I literally asked her before this to not do that. <laughs> but that's incredible. Whatever. So today we have on Heather Hargreaves. She's Tom Steyer's former campaign manager who's going to help us like reflect on this 2020 election and also kind of talk about everything that's going on um, in the news regarding the election and from presidential to the Senate races. Um, so here's Heather. First, we really want to kind of get to know you and, you know, I was on Tom Steyer's campaign for um, his presidential bid and you were the campaign manager, which is amazing. Um, And so we definitely want to hear all about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, i had been working for Tom at Next Gen America for four years or I guess maybe three and a half years before I started working on the presidential campaign. So I started working at NextGen America in 2015 and at first didn't really know Tom. I I mean, I knew that he ran the organization and founded it, but I wasn't working directly with him very much, Uh, but slowly got to know him over time and eventually became the executive director at NextGen. And through that process, got to know Tom pretty quickly and very closely. We ended up working together quite a lot and we just had a working style that worked well together and when he was interested in running thinking about running for president we started to talk about a role for me and eventually that led to being the campaign manager it's not really something I ever thought I would do (laughs) is run a presidential campaign so
3: That's so cool though. Well, what was also that like decision-making process like for, for Tom and with you? And I guess, how did that dynamic work? And was there a lot of back and forth? Like how does one decide to run for president? Uh,
2: I think the decision for Tom, you know, was one that took a long time to think through and had a lot of back and forth. Obviously, there's a lot that goes into that decision in terms of your time. And for him, you know, he knew that it was going to be a substantial financial decision because if he did enter, he would use his personal resources to help support that effort. Um, But Tom's always, you know, since he left his um, business, Really thought through how he can have the biggest impact on making positive change in the areas that he's interested in and He came to a decision that running in the presidential was really the best way to put forward His agenda and the things that he was most interested in making sure that we were raising as part of the presidential election and obviously there was always you know, it was never a certainty that he would win. And so he definitely went into it with the understanding that even if he didn't win, he wanted to make sure that he was getting across the message that was important. And I think we've seen through the Biden, you know, uh, campaign and the general election that he really has taken on a lot of you know, bolder progressive ideas from across the Democratic presidential primary, and and listen to the conversation that was had across the country over the primary, and I, um, I think that that was in part some of the work that we did on the campaign.
3: Yeah, totally. Um, and that was kind of like yeah. So a lot of Tom's. The things he was pushing was also like there were unconventional policy ideas in a lot of ways from like term limits to like national emergency on climate which has never really been even proposed before um and i mean he was a billionaire activist which also made his whole campaign and himself very unconventional um and you know there was also like andrew yang who was similar in that way of like having kind of like these visionary ideas that hadn't really been proposed before Um, and so I don't know, do you think that the country just like wasn't ready for these kind of bolder new ideas or, I mean, they also got a lot of amazing feedback. Andrew Yang had a great following. So like, how do you think that these new ideas sat with like the American voter?
2: Um, generally I think that they sat well. I think that most primary voters want, wanted fresh ideas and want that to be, pushed, in a sense. Uh, And obviously, our country is not going in the right direction right now. And everybody knew it. And it was just a conversation on the margins of what direction we should be going in. So I don't think that Tom or Andrew Yang's or others ideas were, were too revolutionary for, you know, the general for the electorate, I think part of what was a challenge for both Tommy and Andrew Yang is that they're not, you know, career politicians. And I don't say that negatively, just as a fact that um, have been in the space for so long, understand all the institutional work that needs to be done. They don't have the same support from the establishment that is, you know, hard to build in a short amount of time, and really does have an effect on on the primary process. And even though you know Bernie Sanders wouldn't consider himself part of the establishment, you know he's been in Congress for 30 or 40 years. I, I don't remember the exact number, but you know, clearly, you know, has a, a following in that sense that that both Tom and Andrew Yang didn't have. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of yeah. sense, and I think. In being, you know, politicians
0: that have been in the works or not in the works, but at work previously, especially for literally decades at a time, it becomes sort of a a who's who club um, and very much a, you know, the classic, you know, term of the boys' club. And I know that similarly is kind of something that happens on the campaign trail as well. Uh, Campaign directors and managers typically, we've seen so many men in these roles; it's insane. I mean, there's just, I. I'm without words, I suppose. Um, and so I know at one point you were the only female campaign manager in the Democratic primary. And so we were curious, what was that like? And how can we also get more females in this role? It seems great to me. Like, can I sign up? Like, how do I do it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I have a lot to say about whether or not you want to sign up. But to the, to the first question, I think Well, first of all, I I wasn't the only person over the course of the whole campaign. At the end, uh, I was the only female campaign manager after some had dropped out. But, you know, uh, Jen O'Malley Dillon, who's now Biden's campaign manager, was uh, Beto O'Rourke's campaign manager in the primary. Um, Maya Rupert was uh, Castro's campaign manager. There's a couple other examples, Jen Ritter, who was, Um, Steve Bullock's campaign manager and now works for the Biden campaign so I I think that this cycle even more than the past cycles we did show that women there are more women campaign managers and if you look down ticket at senate races and house races there are a lot more women that are taking that role but it's definitely more than it has been in that we have come a long way in that sense And, you know, I do think that it is what you talked about. Part of it is just that it's a job that's traditionally been very male-dominated and it sort of snowballs in that sense because people tend to hire managers that they know and that have experience. And when you don't, aren't familiar and, and haven't been brought up in that world in the same way, then you know, it's hard to build those relationships. Um, You know, Jen's a good, Jen O'Malley Dillon's a good example of somebody that has been working in this field for, um, you know, many years, worked for John Edwards and then for Obama and others. And so when you build that record, it's easy to then fit into these roles. And I think she and others are just showing a good path for other women to continue to move up in this field. So I think that we'll continue to see more women, you know, campaign managers and other directors and whatnot. Yeah. Um, And especially, you know, when you see examples of women that are able to have work-life balance in ways that um, maybe before we didn't think was possible.
3: Yeah, totally. I mean, also, Trump has a significant amount of women directors in his campaign, which is interesting to say the least um but yeah i mean do you think then moving forward and with campaigns and elections to come like we'll continue to just see that snowball and see more and more women in these kind of positions of power in the political and electoral space
2: definitely i but i i think a lot of it comes to having more women elected officials too and more women running for office you know in the Full sphere of electoral politics, the more women and and the more diverse all of it becomes, then again, it's a snowball effect um, down the line. And people want to see people that, you know, represent them in those positions of power. And um, that gives them, you know, again, the pathway to understand that like, oh, yeah, I can do that too.
1: Totally.
3: Well, cool. We did want to also just go into really kind of reflecting on the 2020 election as a whole. We are having a little election series on our show. So we have a few more election-based episodes coming up, but you're kind of our first one where I think it'd be really good to kind of look back and go over like what the primary looked like and how that shaped the general. um, So yeah, like starting with the primary, how... Do you think the presidential primary, I mean, we touched on this a little bit with like the candidates pushing like ultimately Joe Biden to be more progressive, but do you think that Joe Biden now is due to the primary candidates he ran against?
2: I mean, partially, I mean, Vice President Biden has been, you know, in office for decades and has a strong message and work ethic and understanding and, sort of political philosophy that I don't think is going to change or changed with the primary process. But I do think that he is somebody that listens and listens, not just to the other people running around him, but the American electorate and really where the country's at. And, and he recognizes that, you know, this is a different world than it was in even 2007 when he ran for president before or, um, whatever he ran before that, 1988. I don't remember. I'm not sure. <laughs> a long, a um, long time ago. I just, That I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, he, he has evolved as a candidate um, and as a person, as he should. And so I think part of it is the primary process, but just time you know, it's just funny to think about the primary because it ended, you know, right when COVID started and it seems like a world away. And to think about all that we did and all the events and travel and the debates, like none of that could have happened under COVID world. It's really weird.
0: And I definitely feel like if I think about March, it feels like a different century. It's absolutely bananas to me, but I think COVID in and of itself is a really key topic that we want to chat about in relation to the election and candidates either listening or perhaps not listening to sort of what's going on. And with that, I mean, do you think that COVID, I mean, this is a little bit of a dumb question, but do you think COVID has really affected how the, you know, the electoral process has, um, you know, continued to sort of go on throughout this year?
2: definitely um you know i work now for an independent expenditure campaign um so on the soft side of electoral politics and we do um a lot in this space and and i've talked to many others that work you know in a sort of election world and the just the amount of adaptation that we've had to undergo to figure out Uh, how to talk to voters just tactically has been such a challenge Um, and that doesn't even hit on the message challenges and how COVID is obviously something that has overtaken everything that people think about and the um, psyche of America in a way that Really changes how you can talk about anything. Like, do we really talk about foreign policy in this campaign in the same way you would talk about foreign policy in another year? Where now it's really focused on how do we interact with foreign governments as it relates to the virus. Um, yeah. And so just having that, I don't know, cloud is maybe not the right word, but cloud over everything, where you are, where it is affecting everything. You know, it's it's made everyone have to adapt.
3: For sure. I mean, yeah, just from really it probably being the key key issue for voters this year, right, of who they want to vote for, to then how campaigns are run, how you organize, and making it all digital, and to yeah, like each issue in itself is also you have to look at it with a COVID umbrella too. So it's just yeah, it's crazy, and especially when you look at like the primary and how what everyone was talking about in the primary they had like nobody had any idea that COVID was going to happen it wasn't even a topic and now it's everything
2: yeah and I mean it's it's, so interesting it's been interesting because it's really highlighted all the deficiencies of a Trump administration in such a really critical way I think that back when Trump was elected um many of us felt you know, a lot could go wrong. Um, and we're worried about what could happen under a Trump administration from, from a lot of like national security standpoint and things like that. And this is in some ways, like one of our biggest nightmares is like the Trump administration has to deal with this pandemic and isn't equipped in so many ways to deal with that. And we've seen, you know, I, the Trump campaign will argue you know every day that they've done a good job but you know 200 and what are we at 40,000 um yeah have died and it, it I think it didn't have to be this way and we need to remind people that it didn't have to be this way that there, if we had taken different steps we would not be in the place that we're in yeah I think it's like that whole
0: topic of intersectionality is really top of mind with COVID and everything like that because you like at least I know in conversations I've had with voters it's the idea that okay like I typically vote on abortion rights or I typically vote on gun rights or whatever it is and now it's like every typical issue that you would think about or vote on is all the way to the wayside it's like how does it relate to COVID and you know what's what are the solutions there so it's good to hear your perspective on it too coming from sort of the campaign and what would have what would have, could have, or like what should have also been. Um, So it's kind of interesting just to hear that end of it. And I know it's an unprecedented year. I don't have enough like fingers and toes to count how many times I say unprecedented in a day. It's just not possible. (laughs) Um, But yet, you know, unprecedented election, unprecedented year. Um, Of course, we're looking at the whole ticket, not just the presidential ticket. Um, And with that in mind, do you think we're going to see, some really shocking results across the ticket or do you think it's really going to be the presidential one that's you know keeping our attention and um the rest will be kind of like the typical you know domino effect run down the ballot
2: that's a good question i think that there's a chance in some of these senate races that we do win more than we expected you know nine months ago but to be honest, most of them are really close. Um, and I don't think that, I don't see us winning all of them, you know, that are close. So I'm, I don't think it will be a huge, a huge shift on the Senate side. Um, although to think that Iowa could be this close nine months ago is not, something we would have expected right so trump is having an effect down ticket where a lot more races are close i mean um people are you know spending money in alaska and texas and south carolina and kansas in ways that we never would have expected yeah um but how what's our chance of winning those four states it's it's still not great um Uh, You know, I think we'll see more further down ticket wins than people I think are anticipating. You know, a lot of state legislative races are won on pretty small margins just because they're small districts. And Mm -hmm. so a little bit in turnout um, on Republican or Democratic side could really affect that. And I think, you know, we're seeing a pretty big surge in Democratic turnout right now. I think it's pretty hard to judge whether or not that will last through e-day because this election cycle is so different with early voting being so prominent um that we we really have nothing to compare it to you see all these tweets about oh you know texas just surpassed its 2016 early vote numbers or i guess across the country we passed yeah. early vote numbers but it's like yeah of course we did like most people are early voting as they didn't last time so That isn't necessarily an indicator of anything yet.
3: Yeah. It can either just be like people realizing early voting is more efficient and especially with COVID. Exactly. Um, Yeah. That makes sense. Um, well, we do want to get into a little segment we have, which is called, I have a stupid question. Um, what are battleground states? Uh,
2: Sure. Battleground states are states that are traditionally competitive in either the presidential election or competitive for Senate races. So that means that they've probably gone to either dumb or Republican in different cycles and have changed over the course of the last, you know, few election cycles. Um, or they tend to be pretty close um, and, you know, are only won by a few percentage points. The main battleground states <laughs> this year are really the states that Trump um, won by a small margin, which are Pennsylvania, Michigan, and, and Wisconsin, and then other battlegrounds on the presidential side are Florida, North Carolina, Arizona, are probably the main six I would say um, and then on the on the Senate side the closest races are really in Arizona although it's not that close close ish yeah <laughs> um, Maine Montana Iowa North Carolina, Georgia and speaking of that night obviously
0: we will have our eyes on the TV on our phones all of that good stuff. Um, But will we know the
2: results of the election that night? Good question. I've been looking, I've been doing a lot of uh, research on all of this. It Depends on a couple factors. One is that a lot of states aren't legally allowed to count ballots and start processing all. We've all these, all these mail-in ballots, absentee ballots, whatever you want to call them, are coming into states. Some states can't do anything with them until election day meaning they can't check the signature, they can't open it up and make sure they filled it out, and they can't scan it through the machine, they can't do anything. So in the state like that, it makes it really hard to actually get results on election day, because they're just spending the whole day processing, but also having to administer election day. Um, so that that's some states um and then the other issue is some states accept ballots post election day um i'm in california and in california as long as it's postmarked on election day i think it's accepted up to like two or three weeks later like pretty far late um some most states it's somewhere in the sort of three to seven day range so as long as they receive it three or seven days later it's counted so that means that we wouldn't know the results, although it, it's easy to tell um, how many outstanding ballots there are. So if 99% of the ballots have already been received by a state and they've been counted and they're just waiting on 1%, then you can tell what sort of impact that would generally have. So. You know there's um again all those factors that are going to come into whether or not we know results on election day if the results are so somebody is winning so far ahead of the other person in a particular state then it doesn't matter if everything's counted yet they'll call it um it won't be official um but we'll know so you know my my prediction is that by yeah. midday Wednesday, the, sen- the presidential race has been called for Biden. Um, I think that there's enough okay. states that will call it early enough and have enough processing of ballots that they'll be able to call those states to get to two- 270 electoral votes, which is what you need to win the presidency. There's going to be states we don't know about for potentially weeks but I think we won't necessarily need those states. On the Senate mm-hmm. side though, I think that the um, whether or not the Democrats um, get majority in the Senate, that could take much longer because there's so many more tight races. And in Georgia, it's likely that both of those races go into a runoff. Um, it's a state where you have to get 50% of the vote in order to win if you don't get 50% of the vote, then it goes into immediate runoff. The runoff is January 5th. Um, so it could kind of come down to those races.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. There's not even just a simple answer for it, right? Like, yeah. it's everywhere is different. No. And yeah. what, would, what would prompt a recount in a state? Because that is possible. We have seen it before. We saw it, Bush score. I think that was the most recent one, right?
2: Oh, no, there's been um, lots of others. For it, presidential? Uh, for presidential, no. Uh, I don't yeah. think in 16 there were any official recounts. So in it's it varies by state, and it depends on the state law. But it tends to be, if it's under a certain percentage, the margin uh, between the candidates, then... At one level, if a campaign wants to pay and call for a recount, they're allowed to. And then if it's under an even closer margin, then it goes into an automatic recount where the state has to do a recount. So I think a good example is like, I think in North Carolina, it's 1%. if If the margin between the two candidates is under 1%, then one of the candidates can request a recount and then pay for it if it's under 0.5 percent margin then it goes to automatic recount and the state has to do a recount but again it changes by state and and i could be off slightly for north carolina but that gives you an idea Mm -hmm. going into just some like
3: top stories we you know we're trying to get kind of the biggest running stories right now with what's going on in the election or at least what's influencing it um and so to start we wanted to talk about kind of this conversation that honestly isn't necessarily new especially in the trump world of like foreign adversaries actively interfering with our election um and so you know i think the Last couple days, like top Intel officials have said that Russian hackers have successfully obtained voter data um, and like Iranian hackers um, are behind some like threatening videos being sent to voters. Um, And so like why in the world are our foreign adversaries trying to interfere with our election and do they have a specific agenda? Like who do they want to win? What is going on there?
2: I mean, that's a hard question to answer. (laughs) I I mean, I don't know the motives of the foreign countries. You know, you can make an assumption that they want Trump to win because they think that he's going to be more favorable to their agenda or, or vice versa, although it seems like they're doing everything to support Donald Trump, and that's what they did in the 2016 election. I think what's clear is that we need to change some policies in order to regulate some of like the social media platforms and others better so that foreign companies or foreign um, countries can't interfere. You know, and we've never really done a thorough investigation of what happened in the 2016 election and what's happening now to really understand how they're getting this data and how they're infiltrating our systems in order to then prevent it. Um, Because I think it's easier to prevent it than to figure out what their motives are and try to change their motives, because I think that they're going to keep trying to do that. And and the United States is not the only country where foreign countries are trying to influence elections. Um, This is happening worldwide. Yeah, it really seems to be this
0: pattern that's emerged over the last few years, or at least it's been spoken about so much more. And maybe perhaps that's um, really always been on the tip of our tongues. But obviously, it's terrifying. Don't really love it. Can't say I'm like, oh, yes, endorse this whole situation. Great. But is there anything what you're saying sort of on the policy end that we can do to combat this? Is there been any policy proposals in the past that
2: um, could be effective in this way? Uh, that's a good question. I I don't know all of the different cybersecurity regulations and what could be done. But again, I think a big part of it is that the Trump administration just didn't ever try to figure out how they were doing it. But, um, you know, some of it can be, you know, working with Twitter and Facebook to limit bots and other sort of mechanisms for spreading false information. Um, And there are technologies to be able to do this. And you know, some of the platforms have taken already taken steps in that direction. It's just that they have to, they have to go further. Um, But what we need to do is make sure that the next administration whoever it is, actually investigates this and takes steps to change the policies. Um, And and that they know that voters care about it. I think part of it is that we don't hear enough from voters actually talking about it. So people need to tell their member of Congress that this this is something that they want them to work on.
0: Yeah, and I think even too, like, kind of what we were chatting about before of how people have had specific issues that they vote on in the past and now COVID kind of taking over. I feel like even with this news breaking this week again and it becoming like a more relevant topic, somehow COVID still is like the number one topic. And it's so hard to like get, almost push people to, you know, talk, contact their representatives on this whole end, even though it's so important because it's nope. just, it's COVID crazy.
3: It's COVID crazy. Well, the other thing we wanted to talk about that kind of broke this week that, I mean, its it'll be interesting, I guess, to see what the significance is of it, but Trump's 60 Minutes interview, I watched it last night, um, but basically kind of, I think, two notable things happened there. So first, um, you know, there's a 60 Minutes episode with Trump, Mike Pence, Biden, and Kamala Harris. They each had their own interview, um, but... He Trump basically walked out in the middle of his interview saying that he wasn't, like, being tre- uh, fairly treated with being kind of asked too hard of questions and that Biden doesn't get these tough questions. And then the second thing that was interesting that happened was after he walked out, his press secretary came in and said thank you to the interviewer, handed her a massive book. If I got that in college, I would have, like, ran for the hills.
0: <laughs> Drop that class immediately.
3: <laughs> yeah, Basically, saying it was Trump's health care plan, like they'd love if they looked over it. And according to 60 Minutes, there was no comprehensive health care in that. It was really just like a bunch of executive orders and like congressional initiatives, but not an actual comprehensive health care plan. So I don't know. What is your like take on this? And I guess, do you think it's really even having an effect on the election, like uh, this kind of behavior?
2: Yeah, I mean, I have lots of thoughts. I watched it last night too. <laughs> um, I think, first off, Trump's reaction and the footage that they showed was, it just was even worse than I expected. Because I had read about it on Twitter, you know, and and in the news, you know, when when Trump, you know, was talking about it and tweeting negative things about Leslie Stahl, you know, last week. Yeah. Um, But seeing it on 60 Minutes last night, he's just a petty child you know he just was he he just seemed so petty and willing childish and just willing to not deal with like what i thought were very fair questions from leslie Stahl. you know i felt i felt a lot of sympathy for her you could see her reaction in the interview and she was just like so flabbergasted i was kind of impressed that she didn't try to hide some of her reactions and she just looked like are you kidding me dude like this is ridiculous and I you know Trump knew what he was getting into he was gonna obviously get questions like that from somebody that wasn't a Fox News or Breitbart reporter so it just seemed frankly stupid that they would agree to do something like that and then have it be derailed so quickly either you know deal with it and understand what you're getting into or just don't say yes to something like that was right they also made that
3: excuse and last week or the week before with the town halls saying that like trump was given like harsh questions biden wasn't and i think this kind of also plays into this their narrative of fake news obviously which is very dangerous and i mean and it's just, as a Trump supporter, I just feel like you really have to be able to critically think and be like, okay, maybe the news can be corrupt in some ways, sure. But is it also, like, do you ever think about the fact that someone's being grilled on all these questions is because they there's a reason to grill them? There are things that yeah, they're well, doing that's... inappropriately that they need to be held accountable for. Like, that's the job of the media. Like, that's what they're supposed to do.
2: Yeah, I think that it's a very... Um dangerous road that we go down if we think that we have to be asking Donald Trump the same questions to Joe Biden and that, like some level of that there's not a level yeah. of fairness. I actually thought Nora O'Donnell's interview of both Biden and Kamala Harris was really bad in my mind because she was using a bunch of frankly, nonsensical Republican talking points to ask them questions that were just not legitimate. And that is not asking a fair question to Joe Biden when you're critiquing something that the Trump campaign has brought up, but is based on no information, again, and total nonsense. So, you know, we, the Trump campaign and Trump supporters wanna, you know, create this like narrative that, Trump gets hard questions and Joe Biden doesn't it's like no Trump gets questions on his record and so does Joe Biden and it's just they're hard questions because you are have done a horrible horrible job yeah at, at actually addressing these issues so it's like
0: it wouldn't be a hard question if you just done it correctly in the first yeah. place you have an easy answer you'd be like here you go but i do think it's you know it's an overarching strategy you know we can sit here and be like oh wow it's so crazy like he walked out of this interview i couldn't imagine doing that how dare he whatever but like you're saying about the concept of fake news and making it feel like trump's the victim it's that that's a strategy they know that their supporters are going to absolutely eat that up they love it that's their
2: favorite part of the whole campaign so like to me this is like they Yeah that's what i don't think that like the whole thing this whole thing doesn't Maddie, you asked a minute ago like does this change the campaign no none of this changes anything yeah the debate didn't change anything this 60 minutes thing didn't change anything it's feeding his base stuff that he likes which is fine and then anyone else is completely turned off but all those people were turned off already the whole kaylee um mcgarney thing where she gives that book was also just like the same sort of nonsense like they worked for donald trump it's not like they just have to deal with his crazy and they like they they choose to deal with his crazy and they know what they're getting into and they support it so you know it's not like they're you know being tied up and forced to do something they could quit anytime they want they're they're just as culpable at all this than anyone else
3: yeah well we always like to also wrap up these conversations that especially these days feel very doomsday (laughs) in ways that people can i don't know have some takeaways and get involved in any way they can but i think right now like the biggest thing is really to vote and to get your voter plan situated
2: i mean the important thing i'll say is that especially for young people i used to run an organization that was trying to get young people to vote is just talk to your friends about it like you don't realize like how many of your friends aren't that engaged in politics well you just probably (laughs) do realize zero all of them aren't engaged right so reminding them like how to register explaining the basics to them just so that they have the information matters a lot i i even send an email once a year to my friends and say like you know here's some ways to get involved and they always like it. And I always feel like I'm sort of preaching to them and that they're gonna be like, don't send me stuff like this. <laughs> but they always like it because they don't have enough time yeah. to figure it out on their own. So, and there's tons of research that shows that talking, that the people that other people listen to are the people that they know more yeah. than anyone else. So if you're telling your friends something, it matters even more than LeBron <laughs> yeah. games.
3: Yeah, totally. I think
2: to
0: that point too, it's like, throw it in your group, me throw it in your group chat, how, maybe it's a Snapchat. I don't know. I mean, people apparently still use that, but like, right. Like, you know what I mean? It's, I think it's, it's trying to take advantage of any platform that you use with your friends to really get the message out and get people to the polls or, you know, maybe it's not to the polls, but you get my point. So I I think that is a, a really good takeaway.
3: Well, thank you again, Heather. This has been super helpful.
0: You're welcome.
3: And for everyone listening, don't forget to go subscribe. Leave us reviews. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Um, And for next week, the second part of our election series will be dropping on Monday. It will be another pre-election episode dropping on Election Day Eve. Dear God. Oh, my (laughs) God. And, And the third and final part of our election series. We'll be dropping Thursday, which will be like a post-election episode for you guys where we will be just breaking down whatever the hell happens on election night. So definitely go subscribe so you don't miss that. And um, I hope you have a safe and fun and socially distant and mask-wearing, hand-washing Halloween. And we will talk to you guys on Monday.